Good morning. So the reading is Nehemiah 4. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building. If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who live near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plots and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work, with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Why does the Christian life feel like such an uphill struggle? I don't know whether you agree with me, but from the moment we wake up, we're in a battle. The first battle is, will I get up in time to pray and read the Bible? 
So much depends on this. And so often we just don't manage it. Then we face the battle to get everyone out of the door on time. Then we battle with the commute, perhaps. Then there are the office politics. Technology is another battleground. Will my printer cooperate? The truth is, the whole of our lives, we're in a battle. You won't be in a battle if you just roll over and give in. If you stop trying to live an effective Christian life, but if you determine that you are going to live for Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan doesn't want us to live effective Christian lives. Therefore, he and his demons, those Paul refers to as the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of evil, Satan and all his evil army are ranged against the Christian to frustrate us as we try to live for Christ. Satan wants to entrap us every day so that we fall into sin and then we decide, well, it's not worth bothering to live for Christ now. I've blown it. The answer to that, of course, is grace. Yes, Satan can trip us up, but immediately that we repent, God offers us grace. Forgiveness, love, acceptance in God's presence. And the other great thing to remember is that we're on the winning side. Satan is a defeated foe. And he's only able to operate on a leash. He's constantly restrained and frustrated by the sovereign God. Nehemiah, as you may remember, provides us with a picture of the Christian life. Nehemiah has been released by his employer, the Persian emperor Artaxerxes, to leave the Persian court where Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king and to come to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls. And what we're going to see today is that just like us, Nehemiah faces terrible opposition as he seeks to live for God, as he seeks to do God's will. Jerusalem was the city of God. It was where God put his temple. It was where God symbolically lived with his people. The New Testament equivalent of building up Jerusalem is to build up God's church. In other words, to tell people about Jesus so that they join the church and to teach people the Bible so that they grow to maturity in the church. And we're like a small regiment in an army. As we all together seek to build God's church, here we are at Christ Church, week by week, 
Some serve in teaching, some serve in leading, some serve in setting up and setting down, some do administration. There are lots of other jobs. So much is done midweek. Building up God's church is a great operation. And all the time, we're in a battle. We're opposed by spiritual forces of evil. That's why it's so difficult to live for Christ. So Nehemiah is a picture of the Christian living for Christ. He's also a picture of Jesus himself. Nehemiah means God is comfort. We're reminded of Isaiah 40, where God says, Comfort my people, your warfare is accomplished. The comforter is coming. And that comforter is Jesus. Nehemiah points us forward to the ultimate comforter who comforts us in all our troubles. 2 Corinthians 1.4 So, we're in a battle, but we're on a winning side and Jesus will be the ultimate comforter to us. And one day we'll get to heaven and we'll hear Jesus say, fully and finally, comfort my people. Your hard service has been accomplished. Your sin has been paid for. All is well. Three things to show you this morning. The battle the prayer and the victory. Firstly then, the battle. Verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. We've already met Sanballat back in chapter 2, verse 19. Sanballat the Horonite, together with Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab, these were local officials who were jealous of Nehemiah as he's parachuted in to be governor of, Syria, of Judah. This is the battle Nehemiah faces. Jerusalem is in ruins following its destruction by the Babylonians in 586 BC. It's now 445 BC. The honour of God is at stake. For Jerusalem to lie in ruins is to say to the world, the God of Israel is weak and defeated. Just as closed down churches and chapels in this country say to the world, the Christian church has failed and therefore her God looks like a failure. Well, when Sanballat heard that Nehemiah was leading the people in building up the walls, he ridiculed the Jews, verse 2. Does anyone ridicule you for living for Christ? You're in good company. Sanballat 
ridicule the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. So this is no small thing. Samaria is the northern kingdom of Israel. This is like being Ukraine with the army of Russia parked on your border. In the presence of the army of Samaria, Sambalat ridicules the Jews, verse 2. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Doesn't Satan whisper something similar in our ears? What are you doing, you feeble Christian? Will you really live for Christ? And then verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite joins in. What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Nehemiah's team was easy to ridicule, we saw last week. They weren't professional builders. And God's church today is easy to ridicule. Mike Meller preached at our weekend away a few years ago. Mike was converted as a journalist and a professional musician. He went along to a local church the same week he was converted. It wasn't full of the impressive people. In fact, quite the opposite. But Mike knew that now he'd been converted, these people were his people now. It's easy to ridicule God's church. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. How does Nehemiah react to being ridiculed? Well, secondly, look at the prayer. Nehemiah is a great man of prayer, verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. I'd be sad if you prayed for your enemies like that. Jesus said in Matthew 5:44, "Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." Paul says in Romans 12:24, "Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse." 
Nehemiah is not a model for how we should pray for our human enemies. We should pray for their conversion. But Nehemiah is a model of how we should pray against our spiritual enemies. This is how we should pray against demons. We should glory in their destruction. I love Romans 16.20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that a wonderful verse? I love to remember Satan's destruction. We're told in Revelation 20 verse 7, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations. But then it says in Revelation 20.10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's Satan's end. That's the end of all demonic powers. Eternal torment in hell. Satan is a defeated foe. We can rejoice in his destruction as much as Nehemiah prays for the destruction of his enemies. Which brings us thirdly to the victory. It's a hard-won victory and it doesn't come overnight. Nehemiah prays, therefore, verse 3, we rebuilt the wall. That's victory. Satan tempted you to sin this week. Just like me, you failed some of the time. But here we are. We rebuilt the wall. At least, we rebuilt part of it. The Bible has been taught once again this week. Verse 6 it's a partial victory. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. That's victory. That's what Jesus is looking for in us. He wants us to work with all our heart. And there'll be constant opposition. Verse 7, Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashdod, they all became really angry. Your sharing the gospel with your friend makes Satan really angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But the victory is assured, verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Prayer and action. That's the key to victory. We pray to God 
we rely completely on God for victory. And then we work. We work with all our hearts. There are many wobbles along the way, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. I don't know if you watch Call the Midwife. We watch it every week in our house. You may know the program famously shows simulated but very graphic birth scenes. And every week, seemingly, the mother giving birth seems to despair. At one point during the labour, she says, I can't do it. I can't take any more. God's people are like that here. They reach the point where they think they can't take any more. There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, verse 11, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Enemies can be very intimidating. Satan is described as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's true. He does immense damage. But never forget, he is defeated. We have an advantage over Nehemiah. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story of Nehemiah. We know the end of the story of the world. Christ will return. Satan will be destroyed. But look how Nehemiah ensures the victory. The most famous preacher of the 19th century was C.H. Spurgeon. He was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. His church magazine was called The Sword and Trowel. And that's how Nehemiah fights this battle. He equips the workers with a sword and a trowel. With their sword, they're ready to defend themselves. With their trowel, they're able to keep building the wall. Look at verse 13. Nehemiah stations some of the people at the exposed places in family groups with their swords, spears, and bows. And then Nehemiah is an astonishing motivational speaker. Don't forget that victory is assured, he says, verse 14. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. This is what Jesus, the ultimate Nehemiah, says to us. Remember the victory. And the victory is that in verse 15, 
The enemies are frustrated and the people return to the work of rebuilding. They return to work with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. True, some of the men are just employed to be guardsmen, verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. But verse 17, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Sword and trowel. This is how victory was assured. The trumpeter has an important job in verse 20. Wherever the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they were to assemble to fight, knowing our God will fight for us. <clears throat> Victory is assured. And so here is victory. We continued the work. Verse 21. They worked from dawn till dusk. They worked on the walls by day and as guards by night. They worked so hard, no one even took their clothes off to sleep. We began by remembering Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world. What does victory look like? on a bleak Monday morning in January. This is what it looks like. Ephesians 6.13 When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. That's what's required of us in this battle. We're required to stand, to stand our ground. When we're intimidated, we stand our ground. And the Apostle Paul says we are to stand our ground dressed, as Sam was saying earlier, dressed, dressed for battle. This time, dressed in the armour of God. The armour of God means the protection that comes from reading the Bible and praying. That's how you put on the armour of God. You get up in time to read the Bible and pray. Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We are in a battle. Satan wants us to stop serving King Jesus. He's going to make life extremely difficult, depending on how much God permits. And we must be dressed in the armour of God, determined to stand our ground. We're in a battle, 
But prayer is our weapon together with the word of God. And victory is assured. I wonder, are you up for this? It won't be easy. But on the day that Christ returns, on the day of judgment, we'll be so glad that we lived for Christ. We'll be so glad that we kept going in the battle. We'll be so glad we prayed. We'll be so glad we were on the winning side. Let's pray together. Father, help us to take our stand in the spiritual battle, to live for Christ. Help us, Lord, to be people of prayer. And help us to remember Christ's victory, that he is returning fully and finally to destroy Satan and all his demons. Lord, help us. Grant us to live for Christ. This week we pray. For his name's sake. Amen. <laughs>